Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for joining us today. Today we have got a great show. We've got Jen Koken, and she is a badass lady. She doesn't just deliver a keynote, she delivers an experience. As a speaker, she's an imposter syndrome expert, and I'm sure those are new words to some of you out there, and we'll talk more about that. But she uses comedy, she's an author, she's an international executive coach. She is on a global mission to empower C-suite level women and their teams to have the audacity to be themselves, to lead without limits. And I, for one, no, that can sometimes be hard for everyone. So how does she shatter the limiting beliefs that reside within every high achiever? Well, she tries to help them get rid of that imposter syndrome. And it, sometimes people don't even know what that is, but she's got a great, she's a combination of story and strategy. Her standout speeches are packed with humor, information, and action steps that leaders can take immediately to help put themselves at their highest leadership level and to grow. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining me today. I'm excited to have you. I'm excited to, to be on here, and thank you so much for that lovely introduction. You're welcome. So, you know, when I heard the, the term imposter syndrome, I was like, okay, it made me stop and think because at the Brain Performance Center, I work with a lot of women and men that, you know, anxiety, depression, ADHD, and we get to a point where we create regulation in the brain. And then I just, you know, it gets to the point where I have to say to them, you got to get out of your own way. Does that kind of tie in to the imposter syndrome? It definitely does. Um, imposter syndrome has been around since the 70s. That's when it was first uh, researched and discovered and named. I mean, syndrome, you know, being in the psychoanalysis field and the psychology field and the brain science field, syndrome is usually something associated with a type of disease that somebody would diagnose. So imposter syndrome is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not a clinical diagnosis. The phrase itself, um, I'm as in Clancy back in the 70s, uh, coined that phrase to name the feelings of doubt and questioning themselves that high achievers often had. Fast forward about 20-ish years, Dr. Valerie Young found out about the research while she was doing her PhD, began doing a lot more research into it. And she, because, you know, questioning and doubting yourself, I don't know about you, Lee, but I don't walk around knowing that I'm questioning and doubting myself. And that is a way we get in our way, right? But what Dr. Young did is she said, okay, well, it seems like people fall into five different categories. They try to be a perfectionist and get it right all the time. Well, that's a way we get in our own way, right? They try to be the expert, getting lots of degrees to feel good about, are they smart enough to be in the same room? They try to do things alone. Don't delegate. Don't ask for help. There's all, there's five sort of different ways that she looks at it, but within those five ways, there's lots of different characteristics of us embodying imposter syndrome. Now, as human beings, 
you know this and I know this, and I'm sure many of your listeners do, we have upwards of what, 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day and 80 to 85% are negative. Try, that is how we get in our way and trying to disrupt that becomes a life's work of mastering something, of mastering the art of what it is to be a human being. Well, you know, you've already resonated a couple of things that you say. I'm like, yeah, because that perfectionism in my world, when I see people that it's all or nothing thinking, they either have to do be perfect at it or they do nothing. They walk away from it. And that's that's the hard part, and getting past that and, and just opening yourself up. And, you know, all of us, I don't catch myself doubting myself because those, those negative thoughts are so fast, those little ants, they're so fast and furious, automatic negative thoughts that if you're not looking for them, you're not going to catch them. So I think part of, you know, from my standpoint, which very much channels yours, is that you've got you've got to empower yourself. You've got to be on the lookout. But getting people to step up can be difficult. Um, what do you feel like is the, the most important first step to take? Well, they say the first step is, is, is saying you have a problem, right? So I think literally, I mean, if you think about the ever-changing world of business and the ever-changing world of of our world right now and how dynamic we've had to be. I mean, change is inevitable. And with change comes us adapting to that change. But in one sense, it's a very linear process. We now have to be these sort of multidimensional human beings where we can not only be empathetic, but be authentic, but uh, have space for the people around us who are dealing with their own psychological or health issues, as well as worry about our family, as well as uh, be a great leader in our company, in our community, and no longer can we compartmentalize things. We must learn how to navigate that entire sea and that entire storm. So the first thing that it starts with, because I think what you're talking about, which is so important, is, and what you talked about with the perfectionism, I've seen this too, it's either all or nothing, but we set these insanely high marks for ourselves, and when we don't meet them, we ruminate about it for days, we pick it apart. Even if we do succeed, we pick apart what we didn't do well. So that's the nature of the human brain, is to focus on the negative, is to focus on the repetitive. So I think the first step is to admit, hey, I'm a human. Hey, well, if I'm human, then I have all this negative thinking. And so my job is to interrupt it. It's what I call the art mastery of presence. And that is with imposter syndrome as well. That's an access to the art and mastery of presence, going from the react, 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 to noticing and observing, oh, I'm a human being with a reaction. Oh, I just had that thought. Uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't take that chance because I don't think I'll be good at it. Right. So we don't we don't take that chance because there's nothing we're not sure. And so in the moment you notice that you're having that thought, like, wait a minute, maybe I'll be good at it. Maybe I won't. But I'm going to choose to have fun. And that's being creative about how we want to show up in those moments. You know, and, and you're right that we do have to, it is, it's a risk to have fun because, oh, I've never done that before, so I'm probably not going to do it very well. No, thank you. No, thank you. 
you know what? Have some fun with it. You, you talked about when people set those unrealistic goals, how they ruminate over it. Man, I've seen people beat themselves to a pulp. And it's almost like it hurts me just to observe it. I know what it must be doing to them. Oh, my gosh. I so identify with that. You know, I learned something really great from my ex-husband. He said something really great. He said a lot of silly things and stupid things, but he said something really great, among many other things. He and I are very good friends now. But when I when we were married and one time he caught me in front of the mirror and we were getting dressed to go somewhere and I was sort of like smoothing down my dress, you know, almost like wishing my curves would go away. And I was just like, you know, I let out a sigh. I'm like, God, you know, I'm just so curvy. And he looked at me, he goes, stop talking smack about my best friend, Jen. Women are supposed to be curvy. And it stopped me in my tracks because what we say to, I mean, I didn't know he was listening. What we say to ourselves, A, if we said it out loud, people like you and I who who are coaches and working with people, it would break our hearts to hear as you said, people's opinion about ourselves, but we would never, the things we say to ourselves, we would never say out loud to a loved one. We would never say out loud to a friend because we would never want to hurt them that way, yet we're willing to hurt ourselves that way. And what we don't realize is the impact, not just verbally, but emotionally and energetically, we're having on the people around us. Well, you know, there's givers and there's takers. There are people that that I enjoy being around because they give me energy. And there are people that literally suck the life out of me. And and I feel Mm -hmm. like they're they're taking everything I have. And one of the first steps that as a professional lady I had to take was to say, you know what? I can only have so many takers in my life at a time. And that was a hard, that was a big step for me. I bet I can. I, and I didn't, I didn't name it that way, but I think setting boundaries for ourselves without feeling guilty mm-hmm. is really important because you said, okay, there's givers and there's takers. I, I just call it an emotionally reciprocal relationship, but it's exactly what you're talking about. Um, how do we, I'm a people pleaser. That's how I was raised, you know, do what my parents want me to do, my grandmother wants me to do, do what's going to make the most sense in my house so dad doesn't get angry because he would just always, my mom was always worried that he would, you know, blow up and, and, you know, it's just the way that he was. He's still dealing with anger management to this day and I love him. I love my father, but I was raised that way to like, just do what people want you to do, except growing up that way. Um, many, you know, number of years ago, I had um, an operation and my best friend came to stay with me because I was living by myself at that point. And she kept asking me, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Not like that, but she kept asking me that. And I didn't know how to answer her because I've been so attuned to what other people need. I didn't know what I wanted. And so I think sometimes when we're talking about those givers and takers or we're talking about being a people pleaser or getting in our own way, so often with all of that, we're trying to adapt to the environment around us rather than being ourselves and asking for what we want because, because of our upbringing or our domestication, as Don Miguel Ruiz talks about in the Four, four Agreements, you know, the, where we went to school, 
what area of the country we grew up in, what birth order we were, were our parents, parents married or divorced, impacts us all from the past. We just don't have to let it impact our future. The first step is then being cognizant, okay, there's givers and takers. I don't want to be around the takers. Well, there's some that I will because I care about them. But all those other people, I just have to cut out of my life. Or I'm a people pleaser, but let me sit down and figure out what I want and need that's going to fulfill me and let me think about that. Well, you know, you're right. Our life experiences really do shape us. I, I, you know, a, a client comes to mind and, and as a child was told he was the smartest one, you know, did very well at sports, did very well academically, had a scholarship to college. Um, so his expectations from his life experiences are that he has, he has to be the best. And mm. as, as we grow up, the best changes. We have to acquire new life skills. And that's, that was such a hard thing for him to understand is that, you know, being the best when you're 10 is a lot different than when you're 20. And then when you get 30, it gets a whole lot different. Absolutely. You know, one of the aspects of imposter syndrome is what's called the natural born genius. That's, it sounds like this guy that he's somebody for whom things came easily. That was me too. I skipped a grade. I was always the smartest in my class. I didn't have to study much to get good grades in college. But how that impacted me later in life is that when it came to not work, because I would always tackle something, even though I wasn't sure if it was going to come easy for me, but it went, it's interesting when it came to extracurricular activities like learning to dance or um, dating or any of those areas where it didn't, I didn't feel like it would come natural, I would be very shy and very reserved about it. And you're right, the brain is malleable. The brain, it can shift and change. With imposter syndrome, what I have realized is that everybody has some originating incident, I call it. So uh, I had a client who, at the age of nine, got a C on a test, brings it home, and her dad, who's in the military, what's with that C? What, dad? It's average. He says, give me 1,500 words on average. And all of a sudden, she's like, okay, I don't want to be that embarrassed ever again. I'm just going to get everything right which propelled her to great heights to be a perfectionist, to really egg herself on. But when she rose to those heights where she had to manage other people, it was a complete disaster. She didn't have great working relationships. So whether you're talking about your client of having to be the best or her being a perfectionist, there's some point where we put that brain pattern together. The key is identifying and disrupting that brain pattern, observing what triggers it, and then being able to create from nothing how you want to show up and then identifying new practices to be able to experiment with ways that you can show up having fun, for example, instead of trying to be the best. And that just takes a rewiring of the brain because we're interrupting those neural pathways. We're interrupting the natural negativity that our brain goes to, which is you and I know comes, we come by it very naturally because we're trying to determine whether that thing's going to eat us or, or can we eat that, that, you know, we're always trying to determine the threat. Oh, absolutely. The right side of your brain, two thirds of the, of the cells on the right side of your brain 
are, are assessing the threat. They're scanning for danger. You know, it goes back to when you were going to walk out of that cave. You didn't know what was yep. going to be out there. And, and that's still going on in our brain today. And there's research that shows positive psychology, good research that shows everybody has three times more positive events in their day than they do negative. But what does the brain hold on to? Mm-hmm. The one negative. You know, you you forget all about the nice email that you got, or you forget that, oh, that lady was so nice, she let me turn in front of her. Or you forget everybody was on time today. My, t- my day just flowed so nice. What do you remember? You went into the grocery store, and somebody bumped the back of your card. Or, you know, I mean, it's just what our brain holds on to. The good news is, it is, but the good news is, and and what we do at the Brain Performance Center is you can change that brain, you can change the way those neurons and dendrites are wiring and firing. Um, But but once you create change on a subconscious level, then you got to do it on a conscious level. And I think that ties into a lot of the work that you do. Exactly, exactly. And that's a great, um, two, two great statistics that you quoted it's no accident that people are focused on the negative when we have three times. And the one when you said we have three times more positive things that happen than we do negative. I didn't know that. That's really, that's really good news. The key is, as you said, rewire the brain and then practice identifying and being present to and pointing out those positive events, but it does require skill and mastery. And I always have to laugh at my clients because They'll have identified that incident, you know, on our call three weeks ago, and they wonder why they don't have it dialed in three weeks later. And I say to them, well, it's because at 55 years old, you have a nine-year-old running your company because you got, became a perfectionist at nine, and now you expect in three weeks when you've had, you know, 40, almost 40 years of digging that brain pattern into place, having those same neuronal pathways and, you know, etched, 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 etched. You want to somehow usurp it in three weeks and be a master? No, even Yo-Yo Ma is practicing for the rest of his life. I don't know about you, but I'd love to master and practice for the rest of my life how to be playful. I'd love to master and practice how to be grateful, how to be joyous, you know? Absolutely, you know, I mean, and it absolutely and people, it's not what you pay attention to. They pay attention to the negative. And how do you pay attention to it? Do you ruminate about it? Do you go home and talk about it? Um, You know, I always tell people it's what and how you pay attention to playing into what you said on being grateful. At the end of the day, sit down. And ask yourself, what are three things that I'm grateful for? And the hard part is, is everybody thinks it's got to be something grand, this really big deal. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's the little things in life that make the biggest difference in our day. And, you know, there, there's there's been weeks where I've been grateful for the same three things for two weeks in a row. But that's okay. It's better in my opinion, it's okay. It's better for Lee to stop and take the time and be grateful than to have something new to be grateful for. Yeah, you know, it's so, 
So true. There are times for myself, too. I'm just grateful I had a hot shower. I'm grateful I got a good night's sleep. Because what happens is the moment we start thinking about gratitude, it's that same aspect of the brain. It's like, oh, that's not a big enough thing to be grateful for. Oh, I can't be grateful for that. I was grateful for that yesterday. Oh, wait a minute. That Susie was really grateful. She got a new job. I don't have a new job. I should have gone for that new job. If I had that job, then I'd be grateful for that. I need to have something big and bold every single day. No. No, you don't. How about grateful for the love of your family? How about grateful for being able to see? You look out the window and I can see leaves and I can see flowers because some people don't have the gift of sight. No, they don't. And, you know, when I've been in ICU twice for brain injury and after the first brain injury, I lost my sense of smell. And at the time, I had two twin boys that were young, and I was like, oh, I'm so cool with that if I have to lose a sense, because I got to be able to see them, and I got to be able to hear them. And the more I I dealt with that, you know, there's more emotional memory attached to sense of smell. And, you know, you have to smell something before you taste it. And the good news is, is I did get my sense of smell back with neurofeedback, but that that taught me the things that, you know, I've always been able to, to smell everything. And then you lose that. And when I got it back and I didn't have to keep putting Tabasco and Cholua on everything so I could taste it, it was a great day. Mm, <laughs> it really wow. was. Wow. You know, it just goes to show you that we, um, we don't realize what we have till it's taken away right? We don't realize in that moment. And so why not spend time being grateful before you drift off to sleep? Absolutely. Because then, and I'm sure you could probably speak to this, is there something that happens in the brain when you're sleeping that pays attention to the last thoughts you have? Oh, well, how, many, how many times have you gone to sleep and you, and you say to yourself, okay, when I get up in the morning, I have got to make a decision about this, this, and this. And you wake up and you've already mm-hmm. made half those decisions. They're already made yep. because that's your subconscious processing while you sleep. And exactly. It, and it, it, it's amazing to me because I'll still do it. I'm like, okay, when I get up, I need a decision. And sometimes I, I don't have one every time, but a lot of times I do. And I honestly think they're good decisions. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like our brain wants something to go to work on while we sleep. So yeah, I've had that same thing happen where I'll wake up with an idea. I'll go to bed going, well, I don't, you know, this has been bothering me. I don't know why, or that's been bothering you. Geez, you know, I want to, I remember um, uh, last month toward the middle of the month, I really was interested in offering something this month to my, my members. Right. And I thought, okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then woke up the next morning with a talk that I'm going to do in December for people that are on my mailing list all about the idea of this art and mastery of presence because we, you know, it's a holiday season like none we've ever experienced. It's a time of year like none we've ever experienced. We're with our families more now than we ever have been or we're alone more now than we ever have been. And that, all of that is triggering. All of that is triggering. So, yeah. Yeah, you you know, you're right. 2020 has been a different year on every level possible. I mean, we've had natural disasters. We've had the, the COVID virus. We've had a lot going on with, with racial discrimination. 
We've had the political election. I mean, 2020 has it, I, two words, stressed out. And I don't know anybody. And, you know, people will say, oh, she's too young to be stressed. No, she's not. She, You know, I had a, a lady say, well, her daughter's not stressed out. She's only five. She has everything she could want. Well, where does she, who does she model her behavior from? Who does she yeah. look to? She looks to mom. And she sees how stressed out you are. Don't you think she feels that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you also have millions of Americans still out of work coming into a, a holiday season where they don't know if they can provide for themselves you know, well, and, or do or how. Yeah. Or even food. I had to. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm very limiting with the amount of news that I watch. And I have been since March. But I, I caught on TV and, and it wasn't in Texas. It was in Tennessee, which had the lowest medium income anyway. And the impact, just the lack of food. There's nothing, you know, go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got to be able to yep. take care of your physical self. If you can't yep. do that, you can't move up to that next level. And more and more people aren't. And that's, you know, I think that that creates a lot of opportunity for people like you and I, because it, it, it's life experiences that get in the way. And there's a lot of people that had great jobs in hospitality and are the airlines or transportation or the restaurants. Now they don't have a job and they yeah. don't have any other skills. And yep. there's and there's a lot of them. <laughs> that's that. You know, that's what makes it really hard is that when you're you're not the only one out there that's facing something that is completely out of your control. And that's probably yeah. something that you address in, you know, in your training. And certainly I'm sure you do in your coaching is helping people to be able to see that they can still accomplish everything because they, they're still worth what they were. They are today, what they were yesterday. And we're going to take a break in a couple, in a second, but when we come back, you know, I'd really, I'd like to, to tap into that because when things are going my way, everything's rolling and life is good. I do believe that I can accomplish everything. Oh, you should see my vision board. But in 2020, when I was shut down for five weeks and when, you know, when there are things that I can't control happen, then I start to question myself. And I, and I don't think I have no problem acknowledging that at all, because I think on some, in 2020, on some level, we've all questioned ourselves, you know, and it just, if you were Give us a minute's worth of comment on that before we take a break. What would you say? Oh, my gosh. There's so much I want to go into after the break. We all have a choice about how we're going to show up despite our circumstances, and I'll share a personal story after the break. That sounds great because, you know, it is it is a choice, and it's easy when all the choices are good. Well, for some people, it's not easy when all the choices are good, but, boy, it is for me. Um, but when all the choices are bad, then we tend to think they're not choices. You know, we look at them differently there. I would never choose that. I would never choose that. But unfortunately we have to, at the end of the day, 
because we're responsible for ourselves, for our health, our well-being, for our family. At the end of the day, we got to make that choice. Can't wait to learn more about that when we come back. We'll be back after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Scott Kelly recently broke the record for the longest consecutive time spent in space with over 300 days and counting. Astronaut Kelly says he doesn't really experience the mollygrubs or depression, but is fully aware of the dangers of being in space. In other words, he understands the gravity of the situation. Speaking of gravity, in space, your arms don't hang by your side like they do here on Earth. So, astronaut Kelly says he tucks them inside his sleeping bag at night so they don't float in front of him. Hey, isn't it always night in space? He also says that he doesn't get the same satisfaction of laying down to sleep like people on Earth. At least there's no chance of Matutalipia. That's getting up on the wrong side of the bed. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back. I've got Jen Koken, and we were talking about before the break the choices that we get to make in life. And I do feel like that we get to make those choices. We're not forced to. And Jen's done a lot of work coaching and and over her 20 years, she's done a lot of work with helping people make choices. Tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Um, And it was interesting because before the break, you were talking about when a choice doesn't feel like a choice, right? And I want to talk specifically to that. So in August, I was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer out of the blue. Uh, I have been an athlete my whole life. I've been healthy. I've had all the genetic testing, blah, 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 and was getting ready to do a week-long self-care staycation, and my breast hurt, and I touched it and found a lump. So fast forward to today, I can tell you I'm currently statistically cancer-free. I had a lumpectomy. I just started radiation this week. I don't need chemo. And then I'll be on a medication for about 10 years and have to go on regular doctor's visits. But I'm saying all that because when I found that lump and ultimately it was confirmed that I had cancer, you think I felt like I had a choice about that? No, man. No. No way. Why me? Why is this happening to me? My mother died of, you know, ovarian cancer. This shouldn't happen to me, blah, 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 and on and on and on. And, you know, emotionally, I was a wreck. Now, 
I got to a point where I could I could be the author of my journey. Sometimes I talk about it as I could be responsible for the fact that I have cancer. Now, what do I mean by being responsible? Well, I'm also happen to be five foot, almost five foot 10. I'm very tall. So if I am in an older home, let's say in Boston, where the ceilings are lower and I don't remember to duck my head, I smack my head against that, that door frame or whatever it is. And uh, that means I'm not being responsible for my height. Now, it seems kind of dorky to say this, but look, the truth of the matter was I'm 5'10", I have cancer. That's what's so. That, those are the facts. And that's a lot of work I do with my clients is distinguishing between facts and story. I can sit around all day and wish it wasn't there and wonder why I got it and why me and poor me and this shouldn't happen and go on the webs and go down a dark tunnel about all the things that could potentially happen to me or I could deal with the facts. And that's actually something I learned through working with my mom and her ovarian cancer, but I think it's applicable to anybody. No matter what's in front of you, if you're out of work, you know, you stick with the facts, which is, okay, I have this much money in the bank, these are my bills, these are, this is what my unemployment is, these are my other opportunities, and stick there, or you can go, you could get depressed and go under the covers and never come out because you can't believe things have gotten this bad for you. The moment, the moment I got responsible for my cancer, I was like, okay, what are the next steps? Okay, you're going to have surgery. All right, then tell me, you know, to my doctors, tell me about the surgery. What's involved? What's the medication? What do I need to know whether I'm going to have chemo or not? What's that test? And once I was at the source of my care and how I was going to care for myself, because I, didn't, I don't have a choice about having cancer. I definitely have a choice about my care and how I'm going to care, care for myself. Uh, I went off sugar October 19th because cancer feeds off sugar. You know, I started working out more regularly because even though I've been somebody who works out regularly my whole life, I've been doing okay during COVID, but definitely have gained a few pounds. Now it was time for me to get to work and be in the best shape of my life. Once I could just deal with the facts, then I truly felt like I had a choice. So I'll go back to my client who I worked with. Um, usually, I work with my clients generally six months to a year. They're usually C-suite level executives, and the key for them is they want to show up as an authentic, empathetic leader. That's what we need right now. We need leaders who aren't linear thinkers, but during the midst of all this uh, turmoil in the world and what's happening to us, we need leaders who can think multidimensional, who can uh, create psychological safety for their employees, for their families. And when I say leader, not just at work, at home, in your church, in your synagogue, in your community, et cetera. So when my client could see that, okay, when I was nine, uh, my dad just said, give me an essay on what it means to be average. That's all that happened. And then I made up. I've got to be perfect. I've got to do things this way and that way. And I've now projected that onto everybody else. Her relationship started to uh, just be exceptional at work because she could catch herself each time. The key is remembering we have a choice. Now, how do we do that? Number one, if we're working, looking at it from imposter syndrome, we're able to get back to that originating incident, disrupt that brain pattern, see how reactive it is, be the observer or the witness in our life. Uh, I have a uh, actually a three-session coaching package I do with people around imposter syndrome. For the first session, we identify, disrupt the brain pattern, then they spend a week in between sessions observing where that gets triggered. Where does perfectionism get triggered? Is it with men? Is it with women in a group? Singularly, like where, 
Where does it get to? So that they can see that reactive state of the brain that we talked about earlier, that negativity of the brain. The moment you notice you're having a reaction, whether it's a thought, a feeling, an emotion, a body sensation, then you're not reacting. You're a human with a reaction and you're present. But it doesn't just take present, being present. It takes having presence, presence of what? Mind, body, soul, and spirit. Mind to think clearly and to choose how I'm going to show up. Anyway, joyous, playful, empathetic, compassionate, charismatic. So clarity of mind. Uh, embody the kind of leader you want to be. Uh, presence of your soul to speak your truth. And presence of spirit to move through you. Uh, you could say your God, your dog. I don't care, but what I'm pointing to is that still small voice that we often can't hear because we're so caught up in that cycle of negative thinking. We're so caught up in perfectionism. We're so caught up in thinking we don't have a choice. But guess what? I'm Jennifer. I'm five foot ten. Or I'm Jen. I'm five foot ten. I have cancer. If I was going to negate that or pretend that didn't exist, I'd be like a salmon swimming upstream. It's kind of silly. But humans do it all the time. If I'm trying to ignore the fact that I'm out of work or ignore the fact that uh, – you know, my child seems stressed out, like you talked about the, the woman with the five-year-old who, if she's not stressed out, she has everything. But if I'm ignoring the fact that, wow, I just noticed Sally is chewing her hair. That's interesting. She's chewing on the ends of her hair. If I'm ignoring that, then I'm not being with what's so. And I'm at the effect of the world. The moment you separate fact and fiction, you are the source of the world, the source of your life, responsible for it all. And choice is right there in front of you. And sometimes, you know what? You've got to choose the way things are and the way they aren't because that's the only choice you have. Uh, you make a really good point with that fact or fiction because when I'm dealing with facts, I feel more in control. And when I'm dealing with the unknown, or I don't know, or I don't know, I don't feel like I have any control over that. And it overwhelms me. Yeah, we don't. That's the thing is we pretend like we do. We pretend, I mean, think about it. A year ago, did any of us think we would be, uh, that there would be a huge market on masks? I just bought some for Christmas so my family could have matching masks for Christmas, you know, like, did we think that would be a thing? Did we think we'd have, you know, women would be buying masks to match their outfits? I don't think so. Or men would be doing that. Absolutely not. The kid, we don't know how tomorrow's going to unfold. There's only one certainty in life, and that one certainty is that in this game we call life, there is one outcome that we all experience, which is the end of that game called death. And then people put dirt on your face and they go to Denny's and talk about you over pie. That's what happens or they do. That's inevitable. That's the only thing that's inevitable. Well, you make a, you make a good point. point. You, about the pie? People, well, no, about, you know, people will come in and they'll talk to me and I'll say, well, do you guarantee the neurofeedback and then, you know, what you do? And I said, look, let me tell you something. There are two guarantees in life. One, you're going to pay taxes. Two, you're going to yep. die. Other than yep. that, there are no guarantees in life. So we're both that, that, you know, you're right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that people want, well, how do I know this job's going to work out? I don't know. How do you know your marriage is going to work out? We don't know. How do you know your, your child's going to be happy and grow up to be a productive member of society? We don't know. We can have a lot to do with it, but if we keep, keep worrying about what tomorrow is going to bring, 
then we're going to miss all the opportunities that day that today has for us. You know, when I, um, COVID first started and I was able to, you know, around March, April, when it started to get warm enough to get outside, um, I started going for a walk in my neighborhood and I've been going on the same walk and it has been, the thing I do is I don't bring my phone. I don't listen to anything. I have a meditative walk. I notice how my feet are hitting the pavement. Am I walking from heel to toe? I start smelling, going back to your sense of smell, what's in the air, new mown grass. Uh, sometimes I can smell snow in the air. Having grown up in Ohio, I often can smell when it's going to start snowing. I don't know how other people from Ohio have told me the same thing. What sounds am I hearing? And what am I seeing visually with my eyes? Oh, my gosh, there's foxes. I've never seen those before. There's berries that are growing. Look at those colors. Just becoming enamored with the natural environment around me because I'm paying attention to it. And if I was caught up in worrying about, well, you know, you're spending 45 minutes walking, you could be on the phone, you know, trying to get a new business partner or a client, or you should be, right, all our shoulds and us shoulding on ourselves, you should be cleaning out the oven. I don't know, that's goofy, but you know what I mean. I should be doing X or Y. I'm missing the beauty of the world around me, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier as well, which is being grateful Absolutely. for those small moments. You know, you mentioned the shoulds. I have another good friend called the must. When when the shoulds doesn't work, my other good friend, the must, comes out. And then all the, you know, then you get into the shame and the blame and the guilt. I didn't do it. And you're pulling yourself down. And what, you know, my goal, you mentioned earlier that you want to be more playful. And one of my personal goals is that I want to bring more humor. You know, you can laugh or you can cry about it. Basically, those are your two choices when something bad happens. And I want to be able to bring in more of that that humor and that laughter and just see things, broaden my perspective. And, you know, I think part of the, and I don't know a lot about the imposter syndrome, but is that we keep our we keep our vision, you know, so limited. People that that I have dealt with that are that 100% perfection, they can't delegate, you know, because yeah. oh, it, it takes so long to explain it, and then they're not going to do it the way I would do it. You know, I mean, they put such limitations around themselves. It's so true, you know. Um... Another way to look at imposter syndrome is the masks that we wear, the ways we think we have to be. See, your clients that come in that are perfectionists and think they can't delegate, something happened. It can be something innocuous that sets them up for life. For example, my own incident around imposter syndrome, I was uh, six years old. I had a crush on a boy named Keith. So did my best friend. I was living in Michigan at the time. There was snow on the ground. And we decided we were going to figure out who Keith liked because we were going to chase him around the playground and catch him and see who he would kiss. Oh. And we did. And he, mm-hmm, and we pushed him down because that's what you do when you like a boy. You push him down. And we pushed him down. <laughs> and my friend Michelle puckered up and he, and he uh, kissed her on the cheek. And then he looked at me and I puckered up and he went, ew. Well, now, there you go. There you go. In that moment, a brain pattern develops. So Michelle was this petite, blonde-haired, blue-eyed thing with a little upturned nose, and I had a, a Jewish, so I have kind of typical dark hair, dark eyes, and a larger nose, but I was also very tall. 
I was very tall, like twice the size of some of the other kindergartners. And so in that moment, I thought, well, I'm never going to be petite and blonde-haired and blue-eyed. I'll just be the funny sidekick. And so my whole career, because I've been coaching people 23 years, part of that was for uh, one of the uh, best-known, I won't say which one, personal growth and development companies, and I was working in politics at the same time. I worked in politics for 30 years. So for 30 years, my agenda was about promoting other people, getting other people elected, promoting great environmental laws, um, voter registration, always about some cause or somebody else. Until I hung out my own shingle five years ago, and then, bam, imposter syndrome reared its ugly head. I was doubting and questioning myself. Do I have anything to say that people are going to want to hear? You know, what's my voice, et cetera, et cetera, until I figured this out. Like, oh, my gosh, this whole thing goes back to when I was six with one of my coaches. I figured it out. I just decided I was going to be the funny sidekick. Well, guess what? I'm now out in front. And so all these doubts and questions are being triggered by that silly six-year-old in a 50-year-old woman's body. And so then I was able to disrupt and identify when that got triggered, disrupt it. And then who I show up as as a leader is authentic, playful, irreverent, um, transformational, and a kind of a no-nonsense kind of coach when I'm with people because I kind of cut through people's BS. Because as you said earlier, it breaks your heart when people um, cast doubt on themselves and say negative things about themselves. I will tell people to cut the BS when they do that with me. I will literally say, I'm going to interrupt you and I want you to stop talking. I did this to one of my clients on a coaching program that I had done uh, last month. Like, I'm just going to stop you. And he was like, what? And I go, for the last three calls, this is the third one, all you've talked about is what a jerk you are, how blah, 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 blah. And in fact, nobody here thinks that but you. And you've got to start catching yourself because you are what you speak and you're creating a world for yourself to live in that isn't a match for who we know you are. So you need to start listening to us and stop listening to those voices in your head. But And if that's where they self-identify, you know, that's Mm -hmm. the way they self-identify, then how are they going to behave? Exactly the same way. Exactly and, the same way. Action matches imagination. Exactly. Yep. And so many times, yep. you know, I, one of the things that, that I do is I, I stop people and I say, what's well, negative thoughts, create negative feelings, create negative behavior. Let's focus on the behavior that we need to change, because I think that kind of puts a degree of separation in there. It's not you. You're not a bad person. Sometimes you behave in an inappropriate way. Um, but it, it kind of gives a degree of separation because it is, it's all about how you show up. Yep. It really is. Yeah. That's the piece where I say to people, be an observer in your life, observe this brain pattern in action. I think it's important to focus on the behavior. You know, what Dr. Young has said is, you know, stop thinking like an imposter, go from feeling like an imposter to an imposter moment. Other coaches have given people tools and tips to manage imposter syndrome. And I think it's a bunch of hooey. Because if I say to you, okay, Lise, don't think about the pink cow. What are you thinking about? A pink cow. Where'd I live? Well, of course. Pink cow. Are there pink cows? Is it, do they give strawberry milk? That'd be pretty cool. That was the, the cow from the quick. Remember quick? You had the, the, the malted stuff you put in your milk as a kid. There was strawberry quick. Maybe that's a bit. Oh, my gosh. You just start going off and off and off and off and off. So we've got to be able to look at, okay, let's get to the source of it, disrupt it, and then have you identify 
the way you want to show up, as you said, bring more humor to things. All right. Well, then I would say to you, Lee, okay, well, let's, what, you have an opportunity to practice that in the next week in between calls? Well, I do. I'm going to be in this meeting and I've got to give a presentation. Okay, great. Let's look at how you're going to interject humor into your presentation. Let's role play that so you can experiment with it. Come back and have that go. Well, it didn't go over so well, but here's this other funny thing that happened. All right, great. Let's find some other way to practice it and experiment with that until we dial in on some practices that have you practicing showing up as a humorous human, humorous human, a humorous person, right? Or showing up as empathetic or curious. That's a big one for people because yeah. mostly people take things personally. And so I say to them, how do you know that people see things the way you, well, because they da-da-da-da-da. Like, what if you just showed up with curiosity? I'm curious what you meant by that statement versus what did you mean by that? Accusatory. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. But I saw something on your website, the IBS. You wrote a blog about IBS. I'm like, what's she doing writing about IBS? (laughs) And then then I realized (laughs) it was irritable belief system. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, exactly. But it is just as painful as irritable bowel syndrome. I, <laughs> you just I, don't realize it. <laughs> I said it self-inflicted. You know, it is self-inflicted. But when I saw that, I'm like, what? Boy, she really does have, you know, diversity. But a irritable belief systems, I think, exist in all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it shows up in different ways. You know, the, the, my doorway to approach it is through imposter syndrome. Your doorway to approach it is when people come to the brain center and are interested in changing their behaviors. But first, you've got to start with those neurons and dendrites and so forth. But we all have ways we, we act that are unbecoming to who we really are. And that irritable belief system See, we think things are just the way they are. What we're not seeing is things are the way they are because we see them that way. Well, then how do we start seeing that way? Well, maybe it, you know, and growing up in Ohio, you had to be, you, you were trained to be nice, just a nice yeah. person. Somebody asks you how you are, fine. You don't really say because it wouldn't be nice to share that. It took me years to disrupt that. So how are you doing? Well, not having a great day. I'm sorry. How are you doing? I'm great. Well, you tell me about your day so I can, you know, have some bask in the glory of your day because I can't bask in the glory of mine. That'll make me feel better, you know? Yep. Well, you know, you have a lot of great information on your website. And one of the things that I'm going to go back and do is there's a quiz because how do you know if you're suffering from imposter syndrome? Tell us about that quiz. Yeah, let me tell you about the quiz, but let me also say, if you're not suffering from imposter syndrome, you're playing too small of a game. Mm. Imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Imposter syndrome gets triggered when there's risk because it's triggering the amygdala, that part of our brain that governs fight, flight, or freeze that's determining the level of risk, those, you know, two-thirds of our brain cells on the right side of our brain. So if you're not suffering from some kind of imposter syndrome, you're just playing too small. I can sit on the couch and eat bonbons and watch Hulu all day long. Imposter syndrome would never get triggered. But guess what? Being the keynote speaker for a conference of a thousand, bam, 
imposter syndrome gets triggered because I'm putting myself out there. Uh, raising my hand to sit on a board, raising my hand to mentor somebody, um, having a conversation with my son or daughter's teacher that I really don't want to have and have some trepidation about because I'm going to stand up for my son or daughter in a way I haven't before. Bam imposter syndrome is going to get triggered. So the quiz, and you can also go to jencokenquiz.com, J-E-N-C-O-K-E-N quiz.com. It, it's about 20 questions. It will go through some different questions on different aspects of imposter syndrome. You'll get the details. You'll get the, um, the, the answers, and it'll be sent to you so you can see it. Anybody who takes the quiz, number one, uh, gets on my mailing list, but number two, anybody who takes the quiz gets me for 30 minutes. Gets wow. 30 minutes of my time, up, mm -hmm, up to 30 minutes of my time so we can talk through the quiz, what the results were, and identify at least one tool for you to be able to move forward. The other pieces, whoever gets the quiz also gets 50% off a three-session coaching package with me where we will... Uh, disrupt imposter syndrome, identify and disrupt it, identify the triggers, and get you on your way for new practices to experiment with so you can show up and be the kind of person and or leader that you want to be. That is a huge give on your part because, and you make such a good point. If you're just sitting around doing nothing, you know, you, you don't have to, to worry about anything. But if you want to, name of my book, turn your brain on to get your game on. If you want to get your game on and take it to the next level, it, it does get a little bit scary. And just a thought yeah. of, but taking a quiz and getting 30 minutes of good feedback. What hey. a, Hey, that's what, that's a, win, <laughs> that's a win, win for everybody. You know, I think so. I think I, so. I know so. I mean, you've you've written books, uh, you've done a lot of different things, but it sounds like that your energy right now is more focused on helping women, and I love that because men do it all the time. The good old boy. I grew up in Texas, and the good old boy network was alive and kicking, still is. But women helping women, we're learning how to do that. And we, I, that's a, a really something that's important to me is to support any woman that wants to go into business. I am happy because I've learned a lot the hard way. I'm, you know, it, it is what it is. And I am happy to share that little tidbits of information. Um, Absolutely. And it sounds like, yeah. you know, you are too. Well, you know, you, you've yeah, done I think so much. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have, I've always been kind of this Jane of all trades, but what's been the thread throughout is how do I empower people to choose life, to choose how they want to live and to show up authentic to who they are. That has been a hallmark of the work I've done as a coach over the last 23 years and the work that I continue to do. And imposter syndrome for me, it just has become so loud how many people, women in particular, and people used to think women more than men had imposter syndrome because men have more testosterone and that's thought of as the confidence hormone. But in fact, men and women uh, suffer from it equally and people of all ages get it. So nobody's, um, nobody's exempt 
from, from dealing with imposter syndrome. But the key here is how can I empower as many people as possible? And that's why I offer the quiz and the coaching, you know, and the, the, the follow-up call as well as the three-session coaching package because I just want people to be happy and we're happy when we're being true to ourselves and authentic and really have trust in who we are. That is so true. And again, it, to find that quiz, it's Jen, J-E-N, Koken, C-O-K-E-N, quiz.com. Yep. Is that okay? Yep, you got it. That's that's great because I, I myself am going to take that quiz. I've looked at it, and I encourage everybody, you know, to, to be brave and to be true to yourself because when you are, life gets a whole lot better. Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify.